0: Hello, this is episode six called low-maintenance martyrdom. So I was thinking the other day, what if everyone needs about the same amount of maintenance? Like the amount of sleep that people need each night. There's a range with a few exceptions, but generally people need about eight hours. I'm sure a few people are in the habit of getting more than they need, most of us getting less. And if you need nine and are getting eight, you need seven but are getting six on a typical night, you're still taking pretty good care of yourself. If you need eight and are getting four or five most nights, then you're going to be struggling. You're not going to be running on all cylinders. It's going to affect you and it's going to affect the people around you, your relationships, your job performance, alertness while driving. I'm sure there are plenty of statistics you can Google on the topic if you're interested. I've always prided myself on being a very low-maintenance person and been fairly judgmental towards people who I deem to be high-maintenance people. But I was thinking, what if there aren't low-maintenance and high-maintenance people in the sense that we usually think? If you're getting stuck here on the picture of the laid-back surfer dude and then the high-strung white lady getting pedicures every week, drop that picture and move on with me. That's not what I'm talking about. What if all people require a certain amount of maintenance in order to function as their best self within a similar range, just like sleep, and people who do that necessary amount of maintenance on a regular basis do a better job of fulfilling their potential? Think straighter, are better able to make sound choices, are more grounded, more reliable, better able to bring their full self to relationships than those who neglect their self-maintenance. What if... That maintenance is not a luxury, but a responsibility. What if an attitude of martyrdom, of putting yourself down, putting yourself off until later, discounting your needs, desires, and preferences, trying to skate by with less than that you know that you need, isn't generous, but selfish. Intentionally holding back and limiting your potential by refusing to do the work necessary to be your fullest and best self. I'm going to read a quote, well, an excerpt really from um, C.S. Lewis out of an actual paper book titled Christian Behavior, The Three Parts of Morality. And, of course, behavior is spelled B-E-H-A-V-I-O-U-R, the British way. Now, before I read, I just want to give you a picture of this book um, this is a book that my parents had and I loved and read many times as a kid. Um, it's a collection of five C.S. Lewis books and it is, it is beat to shit. It's falling apart. I've taped like a, a piece of a um, coffee filter wrapper on the back, a little piece of cardboard to hold the book together. Pages are falling out. Um, it is underlined, it is torn. Um, and it smells amazing. The first thing I do with a book when I pick it up is flip through. There you go. A little flip through and smell the pages. So I just want you to know that you can find these words on the internet, I'm sure. But these these particular words that I'm reading for you are out of this paper book that is brown and torn and ragged and well-loved. So just so you have that picture as I read to you. All right, little tangent there, but now you can visualize as I read to you here. So as I said, this is on the three parts of morality. Um, Essentially, to give you a little context, the three parts of morality are um, how we treat ourselves, how we treat the people around us, and how we interact with god or with our life goal our mission etc so this part is focused on um, how we treat ourselves and how that ties into the other two parts of morality and you can think of morality as showing up in the world as our best selves all right there are two ways in which the human machine goes wrong One is when human individuals drift apart from one another or else collide with one another and do one another damage by cheating or bullying. The other is when things go wrong inside the individual, when the different parts of him, his different faculties and desires and so on, either drift apart or interfere with one another. You can get the idea plain if you think of us as a fleet of ships sailing in formation. The voyage will be a success only, in the first place if the ships do not collide and get in one another's way and secondly if each ship is seaworthy and has her engines in good order as a matter of fact you cannot have either of these things either of these two things without the other if the ships keep on having collisions they will not remain seaworthy for very long on the other hand if their steering gears are out of order they will not be able to avoid collision I'm going to jump ahead a little bit where he continues. When a man says something, says about something he wants to do, it can't be wrong because it doesn't do anyone else any harm. He is thinking only of the first thing. He is thinking it does not matter what his ship is like inside, provided that he does not run into the next ship. And it is quite natural when we start thinking about morality to begin with the first thing, with social relations. And then jumping ahead a little bit further. But though it is natural to begin with all that, if our thinking about morality stops there, we might just as well not have thought at all. Unless we go on to the second thing, the tidying up inside each human being. We are only deceiving ourselves. What is the good of telling the ships how to steer so as to avoid collisions, if in fact they are such crazy old tubs that they cannot be steered at all? So kind of a theme running through those three passages all from that same chapter. If their steering gears are out of order, they will not be able to avoid collisions. If someone else keeps running into you and then refuse to take care of their boat because they thought that would be too uppity or needy or selfish or high maintenance of them to focus on what their own craft needed to run smoothly on a regular basis, you'd think they were insane. In fact, you'd probably wouldn't be upset at the amount or type of maintenance that their boat required to run smoothly, just so long as they did it. You would probably think that them knowing the idiosyncrasies of their boat and allocating the proper resources and communication to maintaining it would be the most responsible carrying and thing that they could do for others and, of course, for themselves. I don't think irresponsible and selfish are the words we typically associate with this attitude. At least I don't, especially not when we're the ones doing it. But let's look at the outcomes for evidence. Think of the people in your life who add, those, who add the most to the places and the people around them. Do they intentionally deprive themselves, apologize for having needs and preferences, and for no apparent reason choose not to put time and attention into the things that bring them joy? When you think of people who know what they want and care about and speak up for those things, do you think they're being selfish or entitled? Or are you, at least a little, inspired by them? When they stand up for themselves, do you think they're being awfully picky to take their own side? Or do you respect them more? When they express their preferences are you actually appreciative of, the clair- appreciative of their clarity? When they spend time, energy, and money doing things that they find fulfilling, you might be a little jealous about their guilt-free attitude, but probably you secretly admire the balance and fullness of their lives, don't you? This seems like a good point for me to add my favorite quote. Unapologetically overused because it deserves to be. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. And go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Howard Thurman. So what is included in that maintenance? Obviously, that list varies from person to person. I encourage you to write yours. I think writing it out by category helps to organize the thinking. Physical, spiritual, relational, needs, things that you need to maintain in each of those categories to be your best self. Um, And a few notes on this list. First, actually write it down. I tell my students every single day to show their work. The ones who do usually solve the problem correctly. The ones who don't, who do it in their head, don't. They make silly mistakes. They miss things. Big oversights. And the ones who show their work and make a mistake usually can locate and identify their mistake. So you do the same special snowflake. Don't do it in your head, write it down. Second, if there are things on this list that you are hoping other people will do, then you have to tell them, yeah, I know it sucks. It's awkward and probably will feel silly to say it out loud And they are under no obligation to do those things just because you told them. But that's okay. That's not really the point since it's about taking, you taking care of yourself anyway. Last, this list isn't a New Year's resolution and it's not a to-do list. When you don't do one of the things you have identified as part of your maintenance and well-being and then you spiral into guilt and self-pity for not taking care of yourself, that's the martyrdom kicking in again. So stop. 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 The point is for you to take responsibility and value yourself. That's it. I don't want to add any fluff to water it down at the end. Just mull it over. Listen to this again if you need to, especially the C.S. Lewis excerpts. Write your list. Think about your self-maintenance as a responsibility rather than the luxury. And good luck.